Lord, help us. As Rick has prayed, Lord, we crave your presence. Touch our hearts and revolutionize our lives as we open your word now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Jesus, he knew his mission. He knew why he was here on this earth. He had no doubt in his mind. He had learned that from as a child. In fact, do you recall the first time when he went to the temple and there he confronted even some of the church leadership and asking them questions so long that his parents had lost track of him. And when he was finally confronted, he says, I must be about my father's business. He knew what his mission was. He knew what his calling was. Those church leaders knew from that very day forward they had better keep an eye on this young man. In fact, they invited him to come and go to the rabbinical school and learn, get wise, and have the depths of study of word. But we know what happened. Mary says, no, no, thank you. I'm going to homeschool him. And so he was taught at home. And scripture says he grew and waxed strong in wisdom and in stature. Jesus knew what authority he spoke with. Looking at him, they realized here was a person that had a mission. And so it was, a young man, only in his 30s, making his way to Jerusalem. The people, the common people, they knew who he was. His reputation had gone before him. And there, they saw him coming. And the crowds began to come together. Because they said, here's our man. The church had taught the believers this was the time for the Messiah. We know, and he's going to liberate us from the drudgeries of Rome. And so they had drawn up the job description for the Messiah and whom they were looking for. They knew who they thought, and how he should be. And after all, with his reputation, here was a man that he even healed people. Not only that, he fed thousands of people. Not only that, he even raised them from the dead. He has got to be our man who's going to liberate us from Rome 
and this enslavement. After all, we are God's people. God has promised this. Jesus, as a child and as a young man, knew what his mission was and by what authority he spoke. And he said over and over again, my kingdom is not of this world. But they could not get that through their heads because they knew the truth. They knew what was right. There had to be a problem here. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And as he made his way to Jerusalem, the people saw him. They came together. They said, this is the moment. This is the time. Let's make him our king. Now, think about this, folks. If the church leadership would have realized what was going on, they would have probably tried to put it a stop, let alone what the Romans would have done. So it was a, almost like a flash crowd coming together and going, and Jesus normally would have stopped it. But he didn't this time. He allowed it, and in fact, he stopped and said, Disciples, will two of you go into the town, get this colt, one that's never been ridden, bring it back. Jesus was setting the stage. He knew his mission. He knew his authority. And so they bring the colt back, and he climbs onto that colt, and he makes his way towards Jerusalem. And at the peak of the mountain, just before going in Jerusalem, we're told, may I invite you to turn in your scriptures, the Bibles are right in front of you there, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 28. Now I'm giving a little background to chapter 20, because here we go. You've got to know where we're headed. Starting with verse 41. Notice Luke 19. Now as he drew near the city of Jerusalem that he loved. Folks, the city, Jesus loved it. And in the middle of that city is the temple. The temple. The center of Jerusalem, the hub of Jerusalem. Jesus saw the glistening of that temple there. And at that, he burst out in tears and he cried over that city. This 30 plus year old man crying his heart out with a mob of people all around him. Because he loved. He loved that church. He loved God's people. And look what he said. 
As he cried, he wept over it and saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes for the day is coming when your enemies will build and break down these walls. You know, I love the way the book Desire of Ages has put this actually in, in the setting. For she has said that day had come for Jerusalem. Jesus wept in anguish over the doomed city, but he could not deliver her. He had exhausted every resource in rejecting the warnings of God's spirit. Israel had rejected the only means of help. There is no other power by which they could be delivered. Think about it. I hope and pray. But is it possible that we can tread on that same ground as those unbelieving Jews did in their day? Is there that possibility? She continues on. She says, mercy may plead for years, but slighted and rejected. But there comes a time when mercy makes her last plea. The heart becomes so hardened that it ceases to respond to the Spirit of God. Then the sweet winning voice entreated the sinner no longer. And reproofs and warnings cease. Folks, there is a limit to the receiving of God's Holy Spirit. As he made his way on into Jerusalem, there the crowds of people throwing the cloth before him, waving the branches, the palm branches, that of a king. And he makes his way to the temple. Jesus' heart is broken. Folks, this was his church. These were his people. They were rejecting the very creator. In fact, it's interesting. Once again, in Desire of Ages, it, it says here, it says the conditions of things was even worse than before. Remember, in the beginning of his ministry, he, he, he went in and tried to clean out the temple, get it straightened up the way God would want it to be. And now again, it says the outer courts of the temple was like a vast cattle yard. So completely were they controlled by their greed of gain that in the sight of God... They were no better than thieves. Pretty harsh words. Think about it. The very symbols that they were selling for gain, Jesus saw and he knew. That represented him. That's what the sanctuary service was all about. No wonder it broke his heart. No wonder he was compelled when he saw the church being misused, inappropriately used. 
He had to do something about it. And so he says in verse 46, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Notice, he sees and feels the ownership. It's his house. Therefore, Jesus felt compelled and the right to clean out and to clean up the temple. Just a parenthetical thought. Think about this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ponder that a while. Is there some connection here between the earthly temple Jesus claimed as his territory, his church, his family, and the body as being his temple? You can only imagine how it enraged the church leadership to see a person, not an educated person, but a person that came in with absolute apparent authority, without fear of even the church leadership, and to take control. Their very authority was being questioned. You know, the cleansing of the temple was no small thing because it did get the attention of the people and its church leadership. And that's why the Pharisees were so, and that all the church leadership were so perplexed. They, they, they was out of control. Look at verse 47 and 48, for we find in Luke, in, in Luke 19 again, and notice, and he was teaching daily. Jesus kept coming back, kept coming back to the church. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. The church was packed. The community, the town was packed. It was the time of the Passover. And the church leadership had lost control. But Jesus knew what he was doing. So at that, the church leaders decided to change their tactics. Not look for or something to try uh, dealing with his authority, but to try to tear down some his ambition, his desires, his declarations that he was making that would bring a result 
whether it was to the Roman Empire or to them. And so I come to chapter 20. Chapter 20, and notice what it says. Verse 1, one day as he was teaching the people in the temple court and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Folks, that was all the church leadership were there. Not just one branch of them. They all came together and they said, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. They said, who gives you this authority? And look at his reply in verse 3. I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it of heaven or from men? They discussed it, as you can read in verse 5. And they realized that if they said from heaven, he will ask them then, why didn't you believe him? But if they say, no, it's from men, then all the people that were listening so intently to him, and they had made it a public exposure to everything, that they would be ready to stone the leadership because they were persuaded that John the Baptist was a true prophet. So they answered, verse 7, that they, they didn't know where it was from. And Jesus' response, well then, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Folks, these religious leaders, they were wanting to embarrass Jesus. Who do you think that you are anyway? Jesus saw through their question. Jesus always answered sincere questions straight on. But if there was a catch, you notice he did not. And it's interesting. I, th I thought about this thing that, yes, you know, just like when they ask him, uh, uh, what, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love to God. And second, love to man. No, no question is mine about that. But trick questions? Well, it's like Proverbs 26, 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. So they ask that question. And Jesus comes back and he says, I'll answer you if you'll answer me. Did John the Baptist get his authority from God or from man? What a brilliant answer. Because they thought they had him cornered. And if they said from God, then Jesus would have asked him, yes, why, why didn't you allow him to baptize you then? And if not, the people would have been upset and would have stoned him. Jesus was saying something very simple, folks. The answer to my question is the same as the answer to your question. If John was from God, then that would verify Jesus came from God. Certainly, his baptism, as recorded in Mark 1, we find that it evidenced where God himself announced to the heavens 
the origin of where Jesus was from. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There was no doubt about it. Here it is. July 7, I guess, 2019-18. Choice. It's still yours and my choice, folks. Your ultimate source of authority, is it from God or is it from man? There's a standard every one of us determine what is truth and what is error. And your basis for truth is whether man's wisdom or is it God's wisdom. The Bible calls man's wisdom the wisdom of this world. Every person should study, yes. Every person should learn. Every person should get educated and should never stop learning. But empirical knowledge and scientific facts will never change your life. There's a fundamental distinction between facts and truth. Two plus two is four, and to best of my knowledge, still is four. But it won't change your life. Jesus is alive, is truth that can change your life and your eternity. So where do we stand? If we follow Jesus and his thinking and believe in, in the key doctrines, yes. How do you answer? How do you tell the difference? Could it be that if you are asked the question and you say, it, the Bible says, and you quote scripture that you're secure, Or are you an independent thinker that says, no, it's my opinion. This is what I think. You know what? When you really put that together, we're basically making ourselves like we're God or something. It's still a question of authority. And you've got to answer Jesus' question. Does what we read from the Bible come from God or from man? The next parable there, starting at verse 9 and following, is, is an incredible parable. Don't have time to develop that today. Maybe someone will take care of that, Brian, another day. So let's skip on down to the next parable. And starting with verse 20. And it says, they watched him. Keeping a close watch on him, they spent, uh, sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he had said so they that might hand him over to the powers of the authority of the government. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right 
And that you do not show partiality, but you teach the way God in accordance to the truth. There in verse 21. And then what they perceived the knockout punch would be is verse 22. Is it lawful, right, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus saw through this duplistic way. And so he says, show me a coin, a denarius. That was the Roman coin. Whose portrait and inscriptions are on it? And they replied, of course, Caesar's. And then here comes the famous, infamous phrase, sinners. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said, even here in the public once again. Notice that it says they became silent there in verse 26. Actually, towards the end of the chapter at verse 40, once again, you find that they're stymied. They dared not question anymore. It kept happening. Here they had now tried even flattery to try to (laughs) soften him up a little bit and then give that question. And Jesus' answer. You know, clearly, my friends, he is teaching that we are accountable, yes, to government. We are accountable to it. I'm an American. I should submit to our government. Now, unless it runs contradictory to God's word. I owe it to this country. Hmm. One dollar that didn't make it in the church. Whose picture is on this? A one dollar bill? You remember? George. Washington. Jesus would say then, render unto George Washington what is George Washington's and give unto God what is God's. It is clear certainly in this day and age in which we are living, our, our nation, which I firmly believe was established by God, we need to have special prayer. We need to have special allegiance and service for our government. It's not perfect, but it's still there. Romans 13 says God sets up and takes down. We have just celebrated the 4th of July, the founding of our nation in Declaration of Independence. Folks, our government tries to provide services for us. They try to protect us, give us public services for these services. God would say, pay your taxes. We focus so often on the Caesar part, but miss out on that second part of Jesus' statement. God's claim for each one of us. 
when people looked at the Roman coin, they could see Caesar's face. They could see his stamp on there. Where do we find God's image? When he says, render to God, which is God's. I guess I would direct you back to Genesis 1, honestly. Genesis 1, say verse 27. So God created man in whose image? In his image. Created he them. Male and female created he them. Pretty clear. We do owe God. We owe him that which upon his stamp is on. We are to give him our lives. You and I are made in God's image. And we are to give him something far greater than just money, but to give ourselves. I know. I look at myself and I say, Lord, I sure hope you look a lot better than me. And I know he does. But we are his image. I love, I was reading this week and it came across a statement by John Stott, who's an, actually an Anglican uh, priest. And he says, we bear the royal stamp of God upon us. We are his kingdom's royal coin. Jesus looks to us and asks, whose image is this? Who made this life? Who owns it? Who gives value to it? Our creator, of course. And Jesus challenges us. This life is not yours. It was provided for you to use, but it really belongs to someone else. Give it back. You know, young people, it's amazing how you look like your parents. Matter of fact, some of us older people, it's amazing how we look similar to our spouses. What's going on? Could it be that actually we've gotten so well acquainted that we do? Our mannerisms, our being changes. This is what Jesus is talking about. Come, follow me, and I will change your life. And yes, you will begin to look like me. I'm a citizen of the United States of America and I have birth certificates and passports to prove it. But as a follower of Jesus, the same truth is, and I like the way Philippians 3.20 says, for our citizenship is of heaven from which we also eager wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for, for Christ, as though God is pleading through us to implore you on Christ's behalf to reconcile with God. Yes, we're obligated to, to pay our taxes, to obey the laws of the land, because I am an American citizen. While we're here on this land, We are to be ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. We are to say and to do things that will cause others to respect and to love him. 
In addition to my American citizenship, I'm a citizen of heaven because I was born again. I was born from above. Stamped upon me is the likeness of the creator. God wants to make me more and more like his son. It's not the outward appearance necessary. It's my character. He's working on it. He's changing it. My American citizenship will expire someday, but my citizenship of heaven is eternal. So where do we get our authority? From God or from man? To whom are we accountable? God claims us. He says we belong to him. He made us. And he has stamped us with his signature. And as 1 Corinthians 6 said, we belong to God because he bought us for a great price. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there we have it. Whose authority are you? God says, you are twice mine. I made you and I bought you with nothing less than the precious blood of my son, Jesus Christ. You are twice mine, he says. What do you say? Do you accept Christ's authority to give that second chance that he did? You have a choice. God gives you the last word. What will that be? Heavenly Father, Today, we desire you to be our authority. We claim that as your created and redeemed children. Jesus, thank you for your amazing gift of your life and your forgiving, transforming grace. Lead us to be good ambassadors for you. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.